Welcome to Killing Time, the podcast that investigates the darkest moments of our past to shine a light on wider histories. I'm Rebecca Adil and I'll be your guide. Sit back, relax and listen as we delve into the latest episode, The Complicated World of Endeavour Morse. At 10.30pm, a young girl, Sylvia Kay, was found lying in the courtyard of the Black Prince pub in Woodstock. She'd been brutally murdered. One of the last people to have seen her was a widow named Mrs Jarman, who'd mistakenly given Sylvia the wrong bus information earlier that evening, meaning the young girl would miss the last bus to Woodstock. The death and subsequent investigation would transform policing in popular culture. Why? Well, the detective in charge was Inspector Endeavour Morse. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Russell Lewis, screenwriter and creator of my absolute favourite crime drama, Endeavour. We're going to explore the impact of Colin Dexter's Inspector Morse novels and the process of getting Endeavour back onto our screens. This interview was recorded in 2020, during the pandemic and just before the latest series went into production. Russ, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Yeah, thank you very much for asking me. Oh no, it's it's absolutely my pre- pleasure, as you well know, because I am... I'm going to label myself the number one fan of Endeavour and that could be potentially frightening for you. Um, or I don't know, a good thing, I'm not sure. It's, it's scary because <laughs> you probably know more about it than I do now because <laughs> what, 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 what tends to happen is once you've, you've finished one series, moved on to the next, your, your random access memory gets dumped and then you kind of forget all about it, the, the previous series. So I'm, I'm sure you and, and many other fans are, are probably much, much better at the detail than I. Oh. Right, okay, well, maybe I'll test you. I'll try not to let the side down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But today we're talking about a fictional crime um but i think it's 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 very important because it's this series is about how um criminal incidents or um, particular deaths have affected the cultural political or um uh, social history of um the period and without a shadow of a doubt inspector morse has had a huge impact on our culture so first of all um i wonder if you could tell me a little bit about colin dexter who's obviously the author of the books um you know his background and life and how he came to create the morse novels it's certainly uh well colin was born in stamford lincolnshire in 1930 his father alfred ran a small garage and taxi company locally which may have had a bearing in his choice of occupation for morse's father whom he made a taxi driver um as we learn in the later books. He was a scholarship boy, again like Morse. Uh, He went to Stanford School, the boys' public school. Then he was uh, in national service with the Corps of Signals before reading classics at Christ at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Again, the Corps of Signals, though he did his national service, he gave Morse an army background. And certainly when we um, developed Endeavour, we put that particular Mm. bit in of, of him having been in the Corps of Signals for about five years. Then Colin graduated in 53 and started in as a classics master in Leicester in 54, uh, then on to Loughborough Grammar and thence to Corby Grammar in Northamptonshire. And he got his master's in 1958. But 
his his teaching career was cut short by the onset of deafness, um, which he touches on in the Silent World of Nicholas Quinn, which is one of the one of the great Morse novels. Um, so he left teaching and took up a post as senior assistant secretary, I think, with the uh, Oxford University of Oxford delegacy of local examinations, um, which he stayed at until he retired in in eighty eight. That's that's the the potted history of of. Colin Norman Dexter, uh, in a nutshell. In this period as well, though, he developed the um, the Morse novels. Um, was it? It was in the nineteen seventies, wasn't it? That that he had the idea. Nineteen seventy two. Yeah, on a on a family holiday in Wales, uh, he started writing mysteries, which led in seventy five to the publication of his first novel featuring uh, Morse and Lewis, uh, which was the last bus to Woodstock. And. The last book, Bus to Woodstock. So it was the, it's his first novel, but it wasn't the first story that was picked up by the um, the television series. I think it appeared in series two. It did, yeah. Dead of Jericho kicked off the um, the TV series. Yeah, because this is when we're first introduced to Morse and Lewis and his world. So I'm really interested in how how that all happened. You know how readers came to came to Inspector Morse. Okay, well, the, the the really interesting thing about Last Bus to Woodstock is that so many of the the things that that, that came to be recognised as um, Dexter trademarks um, are already in place, and certainly the the, the character of of Morse is pretty fully formed in that first book, um, with one exception perhaps. He's he's not quite so squeamish around the dead as he becomes from the next novel onwards and certainly as viewers would know him from the television show but in that first novel he's not quite so squeamish around corpses and it's 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 an interesting book because one of the things that I found when I adapted The Way Through the Woods which was uh, a relatively sort of mid-late period Mm -hmm. Dexter was what Colin does on the page I won't say gets away with but I think you know it's it's fair for all whodunit novelists is they're dealing in words on a page and so Colin will sort of be able to obliquely describe something Uh, the novel opens with with two young women waiting at a bus stop they're spotted by a Mrs Jarman who says the next bus doesn't go to Woodstock and one of the other women is a girl called Sylvie uh, mm-hmm. and she hitches a lift with her companion, who reluctantly agrees. Now, Colin is able to do all of that without ever identifying who the companion is. But on, yes. on, on television, <laughs> because we deal in pictures, that's phenomenally hard. And we had a very similar conundrum, um, me and John Madden and Chris Burt, when we came to adapt The Way Through the Woods, because the central conceit of the, of the novel is imp- almost impossible to deliver. Uh, in televisual terms, so thanks, thanks for that, Colin. Uh, but I mean that—that's the—that was the beauty and, and 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 fun of his novels is what he's got in his hand that he doesn't quite show you. Mm. I remember when we were doing Way Through the Woods. I think one of the chapters ends uh, roughly, and I'm paraphrasing, but the sense is, uh, and a police constable doing a search found something. <laughs> oh, okay. How how do we shoot that then? Do you know so? <laughs> Um, they're very different things, the novels and, and the um, the television adaptations, um, which, are, you know, that first series, you know, was 
brought into being by some absolute masters, you know, Anthony Minghella, not least amongst them. It's just like a roll call of um, British film directors. Yeah. It's It was just, it's incredible when you go back, but then also the the acting talent as well and having John Thor take that central role. I mean, he was already well-known, wasn't he, at, um, at that time, but it came to be the role that defined him, I think. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a sort of, it's one of the two uh, two great roles I suppose that he's he's most famous for the other being Jack Regan and the Sweeney but that mm. kind of felt you know Morse was the beginning of the the next section of of, of his career the 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 older if not elder statesman of television drama um, a very different kettle of fish to you know Morse is a million miles away from Jack Regan but you know I guess they'd be the two the two great police characters for which he's perhaps best known just going back to Colin Dexter as well and uh, how how you were saying about um, his books not necessarily being written with a screenplay in mind um, but he was very much present wasn't he during the the whole process up until his he sadly passed away of the um the the Morse um series the original one but then also Endeavor as well yeah he's about halfway through the the novel cycle yeah uh and eventually they lapped his output as a novelist so thereafter i think for one series at least colin provided storylines um from which the other writers developed and turned into, you know, two-hour more stories. Uh, and then it became very much a case of writers coming along with their own ideas for, for Morse and Lewis stories. And then we had the hiatus when John and Kevin turned in their warrant cards for, I think it was about two years. Oh, OK. That was after the original, it finished, the series finished with Twilight of the Gods. And then there was roughly two years which is when I came into the picture to Colin's Colin's writing had then caught up so there was a whole bunch of Colin books that that we could do and they did them one a year then yeah. to for the rest of the the output the only one that's never been done is uh the secret of annex three but they they did all the rest including the Victoriana one which I should think would be one in which you'd have some interest yeah. based on a, a real-life crime. Yes. Well, I, but I'm, I'm just wondering, first of all, about how how this world, the world of Inspector Morse and um, the place that it's set, it, with it being set in Oxford, what was so special about the series and what still is special about the series? I think it was, you know, at the heart of it is the character that Colin created, who's hugely appealing. I think that manifested in... John Thor was another huge part of its attraction for a viewing audience. It had a slightly longer running time then than we do now because there are now more commercial breaks. So it had a roughly about another 10 minutes of running time to the films that we make now. The other thing we shouldn't forget is that two hours as a sitting on commercial television for a drama was pretty much unheard of, never mind it being a, a series of two-hour films. So that was that was very, very new. They had that, they had the running time, and I think it allowed you to really immerse yourself in Morse's Oxford world with Barry's music. And it was a very summary show. 
It was a very, very summery show. Mm. Uh, and it often went out in the darker months of the year. So you, you were also pegging into uh, a little bit of summer. Yeah. Which was hugely appealing. And you, you look at some of, those, some of those shots, developing shots in the early series, and they're like, they're like going on a sort of mini break <laughs> to, to Oxford, which is wonderful. Um, but I, was, I think I was watching Dead on Time, the, the great Susan Fallon story. Mm. And John Madden again directed that. And there's a developing shot with a car kind of coming up the drive that takes about 50 seconds to get to the door, which sounds like nothing. But on, on screen, that's an age. <laughs> um, we, we, want, we look back at some of these now ourselves as we're making Endeavour and we're kind of 50 seconds on a developing shot. You know, we probably have, have rattled out two scenes in that, in that time, which is, it's the world we live in. But we do sometimes envy them there. The, the breathing space they had, I think, to develop some of those stories. You're, you're so right. And I hadn't even, I hadn't really thought about this before. Um, but you're absolutely right about the summer, the summertime. It's just... Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's full of that, isn't it? It's people having pints of beer, usually Morse having pints of beer in country pubs. And yeah. you, you're so right about that. But then, of course, it's this kind of idyllic setting with the golden um, buildings of Oxford. Well, completely. But then you have this, you know, spattering of blood and murder and intrigue. Do you think there's something unique about setting it in Oxford, particularly? Well, it's quite a photogenic city, isn't it? Mm. You know. Oh, well, now we're getting to the nitty gritty, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it paints a patina of respectability over the darkest deeds one human being can do to another mm. you know so it's ugly things happening in pretty places and i think that that takes the curse off some of the darkness at the heart of the of the stories also the other thing is then as now it was a show that went out at eight o'clock so you were always working to a watershed of sorts now very particularly because we start at eight even though we we cross the nine o'clock threshold it still has to be the rules that began at 8 o'clock we have to hold with through to the end at 10. Yeah. So there are many, many things that we can't show. And, that, you know, that, that's interesting for us to find ways to get across what we'd like to get across without it being ever graphic or frightening the horses. So. <laughs> but that's part of Oxford, I think, you know, that, that genteel setting that's hard-baked into Collins' novels, and it's certainly there in Morse and across Lewis and now with us. But it is like in Endeavour Morse as well, he's kind of, he's a man out of place, isn't he? He's not part of one thing nor another. And I think in Oxford you get this, you do get a real sense of the class system, but also a kind of intellectual hierarchy and he doesn't seem to fit into any of the arenas that he's placed in. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that would be fair? Yeah, yeah, I think he's a, he's a man completely out of place in both the academic world and the police world. He's neither fish nor fowl, but he's got enough of both to be useful in, in each world, if you follow me. Mm. So he's enough of a policeman to be a pain in the art, pain in the neck <laughs> to, to the dons in, uh, in Oxford. And he's enough of an academic to annoy his colleagues in the police. Yeah. So he's kind of caught between two worlds forever which is what makes him so attractive, I think. So 
So then in, I think it was 2012, wasn't it? We had this, I'm assuming you started working on it much before that, but we had this new version of Morse. Um, how did you come to create that? I'm really, really interested to know. Okay, I'd been working on Lewis for Mammoth. Yeah. Uh, who make um, both Lewis and uh, Endeavour. And my history with Damien Timmer at Mammoth our first encounter, bizarrely enough, was on the way through the woods. He was my script editor on the way through the woods. So we oh. had, we have a relationship going back, oof, best part of twenty five years, I should think, if not more by now. And so he'd asked me to to come in and do some Lewises, and I'd done those very happily for them and enjoyed it very much. And they just said, "Look, we're thinking of, you know, we'd love to commemorate twenty five years of of Morse, and we'd like to go back to the origins." And would you be interested? Mm. So, obviously I was. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you think about it? <laughs> oh, less than a nanosecond, I would, <laughs> I'd imagine. But, I mean, it, it was... The real challenge was to, to, to get Colin t- to to give us his blessing, really. Yeah. So we went back and I wrote the... I wrote what... Well, originally, weirdly, as we were starting talking earlier about you know, last bus to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. The working title for it was first bus to Woodstock, as as we wanted to to see the young the young callow, callow Moors. So that was that was that was probably late twenty ten, or at some point in twenty ten actually, because we shot it in twenty eleven in the summer. Yeah, and I did a number of drafts of it uh, before we submitted it to Colin, and then we went and met with Colin at the Randolph Hotel. <laughs> And he was lovely, and madly, Lewis was in town shooting at the time, and you know, all roads connect. So we went to see. Oh, it gets better. The mystery of Morse by Alma Cullen, the stage play, no was on at the new. <laughs> so we went with Colin, Michelle Buck, and the first editor, Tom Winchester, and I went to see. The Mystery of Morse with Colin. <laughs> and as Lewis was in town, Kevin Waitley and Chris Burt also joined us. So it was very weird to be sitting next to Kevin watching somebody else being Lewis on stage oh, wow. with Dexter to my, to my right. So it was just mad. That's hilarious. It was, it was one of those crackers evening. What did Kevin think of, his, of, of the other version? Was he impressed? I didn't ask. I think that's, it's always the safest thing to do. Is not in, don't ask any questions to which you don't already know the answers. <laughs> um, but, you know, Kevin, Kevin is grace personified, so he'd, uh, he'd have been charming about it, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hilarious. So then, so you obviously got Colin's blessing to do the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, had, we had some tea at the Randolph before we set off, and by the time tea was done with Colin was saying right off to the races then and off to the races we went so now you're you've been working on the next series and I, I have believe you're entering into 1971 now aren't you we are 1971 and uh, it's proving I mean one of the great joys about doing this has been the research mm. and so while had a, a working knowledge of, you know, year by year, but it's great fun to get in and roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. So for, for 1971, I don't think I'm giving too much away, but I've been getting hold of old copies of 
Weekend magazine and Titbits, which you would find in um, dentist's office and the like back in the day. And they're, they're just fantastically useful documents because they give you a, a window on um, social mores and, you know, yeah. prevailing mood of the time. They're, they're a bit sort of racy. They're a bit timidly saucy. Can we say? I suppose, <laughs> but, but very erring very much on the timidly side. Timidly saucy. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, three and a half pence for Weekend Magazine in uh, 1971, and yeah, it's it's fluffy. Mm. But there, but there is something beyond that, you know, in the small ads, places like that. Yeah, that's where you get your, you know, little little nuggets that give you jumping off points for stories. But the weird thing about going to 71 is a lot of the stuff that I'd kind of plucked out of nowhere, as one does, um, <laughs> I, was, I was delighted to find that, that in all these um, magazines and stuff, there's loads of stuff that supports what I was looking to do. So that, that's... Oh, that's good. That's a comfort. That's one, yeah, one can, <laughs> one can sally forth. <laughs> you know, precedent is now set. So, but yes, it's, it's an interesting year. Uh, it's a very interesting year. I can't wait. I really cannot wait to watch it. Right, well, my final my final question to you then is, after everything we've spoken about today and, um, you know, we've obviously focused to start with on the last book, yeah. Ghost to Woodstock, what do you think, I know this is a hard one, but what do you think the lasting impact and legacy of Colin Dexter's novels and the TV series as well have been? Well, I would say huge, but I really do think it's huge. Because without Colin's novels, we'd never have had that huge leap in 87 on, on commercial television into making the long form uh, one-off you know, series of, of policiers. So all those Sunday night two-hour shows that people tune into now, like Vera and Prime Suspect, etc., 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 all of that comes from Colin. If Colin hadn't had that wet holiday in Wales... And sat down to write Last Bus to Woodstock. Zenith wouldn't have taken it on and done it as as the big two hour numbers, and and the television landscape would look very different. So I think that that's forever. That's something that's never going to to disappear, really. So it cha- it changed our viewing our viewing habit completely. And I, in the old days, they were they were midweek. I think it's only since we came, you know, Lewis and. and and Endeavour came along that we moved to, to Sundays. But originally they were they were midweek and, and the whole schedule would be built around that that midweek, you know, event of of a new morse. Mm. Um, I remember what you know, because I came to it first as a as a viewer, like like everyone else, you know. Yeah. And it was the absolute highlight of the the T V year. Oh, fantastic, there's a new series of Morse coming. So, you know. Set set the recorder. Well, at, speaking as a viewer now, I feel the same way about Endeavour. That's I really, very kind it's of you. the high. It, no, it's 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 such a good series, and I know I've said this lots of times, but it's so authentically of its time. But it explores things that you don't necessarily think about. So the the the, the tension between the older men and younger men during this period, those that had experienced war and those that hadn't, and all of that. It's just. It's it's there, but it's not always explicit. But you can feel it, um, and I think what you've done is just marvelous to bring these characters to life in the way that you have. That's an awesome so. kind of Thank you very much indeed. Well, you know, as you Thank know, you. it's 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 a huge team effort by by cast and crew. 
Mm. And, it, you know, it's something we, we all enjoy doing hugely. Um, and the great fun of it has been moving it on year by year. So we didn't just stay locked in Aspic in, in 65. But we've been able to hopefully reflect some of the social changes across that year each year one thing i am glad though is you've got rid of the tashes that's good um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, the some things belong to stay yeah some things should stay in the the late 60s and 70s <laughs> didn't you think you looked fantastic i thought it looked amazing <laughs> you didn't like you didn't care for it no it's fun it was fun it was good but everyone had them then though anyway didn't they so it was yeah. it was again yeah. authentic well it, it's we we kind of there were so many gents hairdressers that one would pass in in that period and they always yeah. had the photos of the guys in the window you know and i used to pass one on my way to school every day and it, it it came from that really seeing these guys with these soup strainers going on and we thought well we've got to do it yeah and uh yeah it was, it was fun it was fun to do i think maybe on the the note of mustaches we'll we'll um we'll leave it but thank you so much russ a delight I'm obviously not going to spoil The Last Bus to Woodstock by telling you what happens in the end. You'll have to either read the book or watch the TV show. I'm imagining that quite a few listeners will be fans of Morse already, um, but if you are yet to experience his world, then I really urge you to. I think the episodes will be available on ITV and also probably in other places like Prime. It's just such a fascinating world with really well-drawn characters and the central character I do feel is one of the great tragic heroes of the past 50 or so years. Until next time, thank you for listening.